Full disclosure, I have never preached a sermon from the book of the Bible that we're about to look at today. I've never preached, we're going to look at the book of Ezra today. Uh, I've never, in 20 years of ministry, literally, I have never preached a sermon from the book of Ezra. So I got the page number for you. Uh, if you've got a large print Bible, if you grab one of those back there, it's page 430. If you've got a small print one, it's page 222. If you want to grab one of those, that would be great. Uh, if you fill out your connection card today, uh, one of the goals we have as a church for the summer is what we're calling like sneaky growth internally. I uh, was talking with a couple of you this morning. You were saying, hey, I'm going to be traveling here and be traveling there. And so there will be a lot of Sundays this summer where the crowd will just be less, and that is totally okay. But we're going to work on growing in a few different ways. And one of them that, uh, that I'm hoping will grow in over the course of the summer is just becoming more attached to uh, the Bible. And I was talking with a friend of mine this week who is not a, not a follower of Jesus, and, uh, and he's super interested in coming with his teenage kids to church here. Uh, but I'm also like, man, it's, I want you to come to church, but I also want you to have an encounter with Jesus. And uh, I think we do that through the Word. And so uh, I'm excited to kind of kick off summer with a sermon from a book of the Bible that we've never looked at. So we'll be in Ezra 3 today, but let me just begin by saying, you know, most of life's biggest moments we celebrate, we have celebrations. Um, I'm going to name a celebration, and you tell me the first thing that you think of when I name that celebration, okay? Uh, Births. Birthdays. Does anybody think of cigars? Cigars. Okay, good. And I think of those bubblegum cigars uh, because you can't have – like it's amazing to me that 50 years ago you would sit in a hospital and smoke a cigar. (laughs) Dan longs for that day. He's sad that that day has gone uh, long. It's gone with the dinosaur. All right, uh, graduations. Cap and gown. Yeah, me too. Carla, did you wear, you got to wear a cap and gown the other day, didn't you? Carla just finished uh, working on a degree that she has worked long and hard on. And it's, I mean, to see you on social media, that cap and gown, so cool. It's like, that's a big celebration. That's a big deal. Um, first job, what do you think of? Student loans. <laughs> Sadly true. I think of like just blowing that first paycheck. Like, I mean, it burnt a hole in my pocket. Uh, promotions with work, what do you think of? Money. That was uh, sort of unanimous. Retirement. No money. <laughs> what do you think of? Oh, uh, yeah, retire. Yeah, something most of us will never get to. Uh, I think of a, didn't they used to give like a gold watch when you retired? I think that went the way of the cigars because nobody retires after 30 years from a company anymore. That's just not, not at Harvard Kent. You don't get a gold watch. You might get a cup, a, a Duncan gift card. Um, birthdays. Okay, absolutely. Um, anniversaries. <laughs> what, what's that? What's that? Forgetting. <laughs> yeah, nobody said anything. It was crickets. That might tell us something. Uh, somebody's like, oh, man, I got one coming up. You might remember that. Uh, weddings, what do you think of? Fun. Fun? Yeah, I think of fun. Dancing? The first wedding I ever officiated, no joke, um, I was so nervous. Like, I remember holding the Bible, and my hand is, uh, like, I'm shaking because I'm so nervous officiating this wedding, right? And, uh, and you know, you get to that point in the rings, and I, I refuse as a minister to ever, like, hold the rings because I'm too clumsy just in general. And so I'll always just take my Bible like this 
and grab the rings from the best man, right? And I'll hold them here until I get to this one point in the ceremony where I'll say, I'll hold up a ring and say, now this, uh, something like this small, dainty, uh, you know, token of affection, whatever. And the first wedding I did, I accidentally grabbed the groom's ring and held it up. And I'm like, this small token, this guy had hands that were like linebacker hands. Like, I mean, it, it looked like a bicycle tire, but I'm holding up and I'm like, this small token of affection and everybody dies laughing. I think of uh, rings, I particularly think of that ring. It was like, it felt like it weighed five pounds and I'm holding it up. Uh, man, everything we do is marked by, all the big stuff is marked by celebrations. Um, in a couple of weeks, we'll celebrate the Battle of Bunker Hill. Hopefully, in the next week, we'll celebrate the Bruins winning a championship. I love the billboard right on 93 that says, in the drought. It's been one sport since we haven't won a championship, <laughs> and so we've got to end the drought. But too often, honestly, like Christians aren't seen as celebrating people. You know, if I, if I said churches or Christians, what do you think of with us celebrating? I don't think we would think of a whole lot. And I, I, I would really venture to say if we went to Zoomies this morning or we went to Brewer's Fork after worship and talked with people who live here and we said, what do you think of with Christians and celebrations? I don't think that they would think of much. Maybe like baptism or communion, maybe. But we're not thought of as being celebrating people. In fact, too often we're thought of as being judgmental, hypocritical. Uh, Christians are thought of as being political, but fun. Like, we're not thought of as being fun people and celebrating people, no chance. Like, there's no chance that Christians are thought of as being a people who celebrate well. And so I want us to look today at, uh, at the book of Ezra, Um, Let me give you some context for it, and let me just tell you, like, this is a a moment in the Bible, and there's a lot of them in the Bible, where the people celebrate, and they celebrate really, really well, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from this as a church that we would celebrate well, and as people who are uh, followers of Jesus or on the road toward that, bending toward that, I think we can learn a lot about celebrating and celebrating well today. Um, let me give you some context of this book because it's not one that most of us have probably grown up reading a lot of. If you're reading a chronological Bible, so if you grab your Bible and you hold it up uh, and you've got the, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, for most of us it's probably three-fourths of our Bible and it's not in chronological order. And, and for a lot of my life, I didn't understand that. And so I would read the Bible and be really confused. And so once you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four uh, books are telling the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus. Acts is telling the story of the early church. And that's basically all the history, chronological stuff you get in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the history part essentially goes from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy through the last three history books are Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And then there's a 400-year gap where there's no, there's no written scripture. God's not speaking prophetically, giving scripture to the people. And so there's this long period of silence. After Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, you get the book of Job, 
and Psalms, Proverbs, those are poetic books. And then after that, you get prophetic books. And all of those books, the poetry and the prophecy, are occurring in the history. But the history of the Old Testament, the written history from somewhere between 3000 BC or even before, depending on how you would date biblical history, up to 400 BC is occurring from Genesis to the book, uh, the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so when we look at Ezra, we're looking at a period of history about 400 years before Jesus is born. And in this, uh, in this passage, uh, basically the people of Israel made a covenant with God. And God said, as long as you obey me and follow me and don't worship other gods, you're going to be okay. If you start worshiping other gods and not following me, not believing me, I'm going to turn you over to the consequences of your unbelief, and judgment will fall. Judgment will occur. There will be consequence for sin and idolatry, and that's what happens. They are sent into exile uh, in modern-day Iraq, and they're left there for a few decades. And where we pick up in Ezra, the people have now come back to Jerusalem after having been away for a long time. And, no, and, and only the old people have really clear memories of what, it, what the world was like before they were sent into exile. And so this is a very bittersweet uh, moment that we're going to see here uh, today. And so uh, they come back, and the city of Jerusalem is in ruins. The wall's torn down. The temple is gone. Everything that they had known about their life and their heritage is different. And, uh, and that's where we'll pick up today. So on page 430, if you've got large print, 222 if you're small print, Ezra chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 8 through 15. Here we go. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem... In the second month, so they've been there, oh, uh, they're in the second year of having returned from exile. In the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jozadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen. I love that phrase. If you like to underline in your Bible, I love that phrase. They made a beginning together. I think that's such a cool uh, phrase. They made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen and the house of God along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. So they're going to do a building project. They're going to rebuild the temple. This is the, mo this is the place where they would go and worship and offer sacrifices. So in verse 10, by the way, I think verse 8 might be the longest verse in the Bible. If you're interested in nonsensical biblical facts, uh, it's really long. Uh, verse 10, and when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with the trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, uh, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people couldn't distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard from far away. 
So they're laying the foundation of the temple. They're going to rebuild the place of worship. And the old men remember what the first one was like, and they just start crying. They see all the stones laid, and they see that this one's not going to have as much gold, and it's not going to be as beautiful and grand as Solomon's temple, which was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And they just start crying. And they think about all the lost years in exile. But all the young men are like, look, we've laid the foundation. It's a new day. A new day has dawned. Let's go. Let's build this thing. And they're screaming so loud. And can you imagine the scene coming up on it? Thousands of people, some of them weeping, most of them cheering, hearing just that wailing and excitement. And that's what happens on that day. There's this celebration, a bittersweet celebration. And so... A couple things happen, but here's the big idea today if you're taking notes. Scott, if you'll go to that, um, that first slide, I think it's listed as a, the next one, sorry. Yeah. Man, here's a good principle on life, I think. We celebrate best what we venerate most. We celebrate best the things that we venerate most. On this day, the young men, they're so excited. They're like, we did it, we did it. And the old men are saying, yeah, but it's not what it was. It's not what it was. I was talking with somebody who grew up in this neighborhood this week, Miss Lisa, and they were saying, uh, I'm not even going to the parade in two weeks. I was like, why? It's going to be awesome. You, you've grown up here. Why wouldn't you go? And I was like, they're doing these, these floats, these balloons this year. It's going to be great and all this. She was like, it's not like it used to be. It's not like it used to be. Is that true? Yeah, it's sad. But I'm like, it might not be what it, like what it used to be, but it's going to be awesome. That's what's happening in this moment. And the priests step in, in that moment, and there's this bittersweet, it's not what it used to be. Yeah, but it's going to be awesome. And the priests step in, the leaders step in, and they say, shout loud or weep loud, but we're just getting started. Shout loud or weep loud, but we're just getting started. Like, let's have our moment, but this isn't the, this isn't the thing. The thing is coming, but let's have a moment right here. And so the big idea, we celebrate best what we venerate the most. This is true of churches. This is true of families. This is true of friendships. This is true of, our, of us as individuals. Our parties always speak to our priorities. Our parties speak to our priorities. And um, I remember uh, after the Falcons gave the Super Bowl to the Patriots a couple of years ago, right? Uh, um, and going to that parade, it's my first New England victory parade. I had never seen anything like that. When I was moving here, somebody had told me, they said there are essentially five gods in New England. A New Englander essentially has five gods. History, achievement and innovation, uh, religion, sports, and, oh man, what was the fifth one? Hang on. Um, And just like privilege and a sense of like being able to provide for yourself. And so I saw like this huge worship service, millions of New Englanders celebrating Tom Brady, the great priest of the New England Patriots and Belichick and all this. It was a, it was a euphoric moment that told us a lot about where our hearts are because we celebrate best what we venerate the most. And so whether that's uh, our kids at the holidays, that, I think that my mom, the older she gets, the more she spoils my kids, and uh, they'll, you, you agree? Like, we will go to her house to visit, and she will give my kids so much sugar and junk, and if they want to stay up till 11, she doesn't care. 
She's 70 years old. She's like, I have earned the right to spoil these children. And when I get tired of them, I'm going to put them in your car and you go deal with them. Like she loves them. She celebrates her grandkids because she reveres them. She doesn't revere them the most. Uh, Other than Jesus, though, like I'm pretty sure my mom loves those grandboys more than anything. More than anything. My mom never loved me. Like she loves my children, never loved me like she loves my kids. And so we celebrate best what we value or revere the most. And so on this day, I want to show you three things about their celebration on this day and what, they, what we can learn from them as a church. Scott, if you'll go to that next one for me. The first thing, they celebrated publicly together as a witness. And I think this is important Uh, They celebrated publicly together as a witness. It says in verse 11, now all the people, everyone living there gets together and they celebrate. It was okay that some cried and some shouted, but they did it together. They were together. Um, You know, the church meets on Sunday, not just our church. Like Historically, churches meet on Sunday as a celebration of Jesus' resurrection. Every Sunday was Easter Sunday. And that was a super controversial move 2,000 years ago when these followers of Christ changed the worship day from Saturday to Sunday. To this day, Jews continue to worship on Saturday. Christians worship on Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection together as a witness. Baptism is a celebration together of what Jesus has done. Uh, Miss Lisa said, I want to come watch baptism. I've never seen that. One of our other, one of the kid's friends, uh, she sent her husband with the kids to watch baptism. She said, he's never seen it. He needs to watch that. She was like, throw him in the water and hold him under for a little bit. Baptize him while he's there. Like, he needs it. Like, it's a, it's a celebration and people can come and watch. But we ought to celebrate things publicly together. We celebrate communion. We're not going to receive the bread and the fruit of the vine today, but we celebrate communion. And in a sense, it's a very serious, somber moment because we're remembering the death of Jesus. But in another sense, communion ought to be a celebration because without the blood and the body of Christ, we're left in our sins. And so it's a celebration. Worship and singing, when we do that here, is a celebration. Giving is a celebration of God's generosity. When last summer we had community group up in the park at the top of the hill, that was a celebration together of what God's doing. Last Sunday, the women here went to brunch at Monument. Natalie came home on cloud nine. She said it was just so fun getting to know different people. That's a celebration of who we are in Christ together when we do things like that. One of Noah and Owen's friends who came to the Halloween pumpkin carving that we did here and also has come to the baptism told his mom, he said, I love that church. They don't go to church. He said, I love that church. They're always throwing parties. Uh, Man, what a great thing to be known for as Christians. I love that church. They're always throwing parties. We have a ton to celebrate together as a church. You know, the first Sunday we ever met on a Sunday I've got a screenshot of it. We began to load in. You were here that day. It was minus one degrees with a wind chill of minus 27. Were you here that morning too? For Oh, God, it was awful. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, that was the day we scrapped outside greeting and we've never reinstituted it. It was such a traumatic day, right? On that day, there were less than 20 people. Uh, the next month, there were about 20, there were right at 25. 
And now, two weeks ago, for the first time ever, there were 50 people here on a Sunday. So we're celebrating that today. This is the second time Natalie and I have planned at a church. It take, it's hard to see a group of people become 50 people together when you start with no one. That's hard. That takes a long time. And that merits celebrating. A lot of church plants, new churches, never get to 50 people. And so today we're going to have cupcakes to celebrate uh, that together. Last month we averaged 42 and a half people over the four Sundays in May. It's the first time we've ever had more than 40. Uh, man, I, um, we've been close. There was one month I was like, all we got to do is have 36 here. And that Sunday there were like 31. And we missed it by half. And I don't believe in rounding up. My mom was a math teacher. And I don't believe in rounding up when it comes to people. So we just missed it that month. And so I told Natalie and Kayla, we were having the staff meeting. I was like, we're going to get it. We're going to get it in May. We're going to average 40. That's a big deal. That's hard to do. 30 people is hard to grow past in a church when you're starting something new. At 30 people, you can know everybody. Once you get past 30, it's harder to know everybody. So a lot of new churches never get past 30 because everybody just wants to know everybody. And so we're going to celebrate getting to 40 because that means for the first time there are people who show up that you may not know very well. And as we grow and God continues to bring in people, we'll know people less and less. We'll know smaller groups of people better, but we won't know everyone. And that's a good thing. That's a to God be the glory kind of thing. Since we started meeting every week in September of last year, we've given away over $10,000 into this community and to other like missions causes. That's a big deal. Uh, we're known as a generous church. Uh, I wrote down some of the things that we've gone and, and been part of. We've served at the high school. We've served at Halloween here. We've served at the Egg Hunt as a church. You've painted faces all over this community, Carla. We've served at Christmas. We've served uh, at We've served the firemen here. We've served small businesses. We're known. Somebody told me the other day, a friend of ours, he works with uh, Natalie at the Kennedy Center. He's like, your church is at everything. Your church is at everything. He said, you guys, and this is a guy who's not a Christian. He said, you guys are making this neighborhood better. Thank you. Thank you. And that was awesome. What a cool uh, testimony. From him, And so we celebrate uh, because we have a lot to celebrate. And we should celebrate louder and longer and better than non-Christians. I'm a big believer that we don't have to make Sunday like a pep rally. That would be awkward. But man, when we have baptism, I am a big believer that we should not golf clap somebody being baptized. <laughs> like, I think that should be rowdy. There are certain things that ought to just have a better quality and quantity of celebration. And let me just do a parenthesis and say when we mourn, we ought to mourn better than the world mourns. We should mourn with one another. And that's okay. It's okay to grieve and grieve together well. Why? Because it says in verse 11, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to God, for he is good in his steadfast love or God's grace or his covenant love last forever. So we have so much to celebrate. We're loved by God. The second thing, Scott, if you'll go to it, they celebrated, and this is important because I, I don't think we do this well. They celebrated a beginning and an ending at the same time. They celebrated a beginning and an ending. In this moment, they're celebrating the foundation being laid. 
And so they're laying the foundation. And obviously, laying the foundation of a house is not a house. I've never built a house. I imagine that if I saw the foundation being laid and then saw the contractors and workers like just standing around having a cookout, I would be like, hey, get to work. Build my house. I want to move into that now. Get it done. And they're in that moment where it would have been easy for the leaders to say, okay, get to work. Let's get to work. Let's keep building. But they stop and they say, look, this is going to be the temple of God. This is an ending to an era of brokenness and exile. Look, the foundation is here. No longer are we a people in exile under the authority only and slaves to another country. We're back. This is going to be the temple. We are going to worship God here. This is an end of a bad era. But then they also say, but this is also a beginning. This is also a beginning. We've just laid the foundation. We've got to build this thing now. And I think they would just say, hey, old men, hey, young men, hey, all the community, look, look, we laid the foundation. This took a long time, but now we're about to build up. So count the cost. It's going to take a lot of sweat and a lot of resources and a lot of time, but we're going to get this thing done. Now the real work of ministry begins. I, um, I had the privilege, the second church I ever worked in, we, they built a building, and I came on staff right as we were about, to, about a year before moving in. And I remember watching men come up to the church building at night and laying tile and hanging sheetrock and painting and putting in the carpet. And the church did a lot of that work. It's a really blue-collar church, and they could handle it. And uh, so they're up there just getting the church ready. And I remember that first Sunday, they had more people at that church than they had ever had in its history. And they celebrated. They celebrated, and they walked across that tile that they had laid. And they walked on that carpet that they had stretched out and put in place. And they walked by the walls that they had painted. And there was this sense of pride of, man, we did it. By God's grace, we built this church building. But then there was an, another sense was like, but this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. Now the real work of ministry begins. Now we've got to invite our friends and we've got to disciple our children and we've got to encourage one another to grow in the faith. They, they celebrated that day a beginning and an ending. There's no neutral in our faith, but we do have to take a time to pause sometimes and just say it's a beginning and an ending. Today for our church is a beginning and an ending. Um, it's, a, it's an ending in the sense that it's an end, I think, of our infant stage as a church end of infancy Um, at infancy stage everything has to be done for the infant and we're not there anymore every Sunday we have enough kids workers downstairs Anna and Julie are moving in a couple of weeks Annie's having a baby in 10 days right am I right 10 days losing a couple of good kids workers you know what we're going to be okay because we're not an infant anymore and people are going to step up into leadership Um, And that is a good thing. We're beginning what I would call toddler phase. And at church toddler phase, some new behaviors have to occur. See, kids runs well. Marcy brought food this morning. Chadwick came in and loaded up on his plate. It was fantastic to watch him, like, unashamedly load up on donuts and bear claws or whatever you call those things. Like, the hospitality, every Sunday, you know there's going to be coffee here. You know there's going to be good food. You know that's taken care of because... That was an infancy stage value. At toddler stage for us as a church, there will be new behaviors that we have to add in. 
There'll be new things that we have to add in. We're gonna have to get better as a church at prayer. We're gonna have to get better as a church at greeting people and just having enough, an expanded volunteer base. So on Sundays, it can be a little confusing when you come. Where do I go in? And we need somebody down there if it's not minus two degrees to stand out and just make sure that you know exactly where you're going and how to get in and where to go and all of that. The signs are great, but a person is a better greeter always than a sign. And that'll be a toddler behavior that we'll pick up. Giving, we've, we will become more generous because we have a generous God. That'll be a toddler phase as we grow at a church. As a church, we will become better at the grace of giving. Kids, we want to be better at that. It's great already. We want to be better at that. And I'll tell you the truth. Like, if you pray for me regularly, here's one thing I would ask you to pray for me. Pray that I will be better at letting you toddle. We lived, when Noah was little, we had concrete floors, and I was that dad when he first started walking who didn't want to let him, you know, fall because of his concrete floors, and I thought, oh, well, he'll bust his face. He never busted his face. He learned to toddle okay. There's something in me that doesn't want to, that wants to almost hold our church's hand, and sometimes we're just going to have to grow and toddle, and we may fall down at times, but we're not going to learn to walk correctly as a church if I don't just let you toddle. And so pray for me, but I won't be, as Vaskin called me the other day, a total control freak. Um, I don't want to do that. He's like, J.D., you're such a control freak. Let us do uh, this. Let us do ministry. We will do it. Um, pray for me, and let's grow together and toddle together. In your life, in your home, in, in your church, Christ Church Charlestown being your church, in your faith, where do you need an ending and a beginning? We need those pivots. Noah turned 10 this week. I wrote him a letter, and, uh, and I've decided at 10, 13, graduation, and wedding day. Those are going to be the moments we celebrate really well with our boys. And so I wrote him a letter and said, hey, here's what happened in your first 10 years. Here's what's going to happen in your next 10 years. This is an ending and this is a beginning. You are not a baby. I will not treat you like a baby. But you are not an adult. You're in between. And we need to know the pivot. And so we celebrated an ending and a beginning for him. Where in your life do you need endings and beginning celebrations? And then the third thing, Scott, if you'll go to the next one for me. They celebrated as worship of God. Remember, we celebrate best what we worship or venerate the most. They celebrated as worship of God. And here's what I mean by that. They did not celebrate themselves. I see a lot of churches that are really unclear about who or what we're trying to worship. And a lot of times church can just become like brand expansion. We're just trying to build our brand. At, at Christchurch, we're not trying to build the brand of Christchurch Charlestown. I don't, we don't, nobody in here is trying to build anything cool or some monument to ourselves. We want to see people come into the family of God and become fully, fully devoted followers of Jesus. We, they're celebrating God in this moment and not themselves. Our goal as a church, I hope I say it every Sunday. If I don't, like you can throw something at me. It'd be fine. Our goal as a church is to bring this neighborhood together around the gospel. Not our church. 
the goal is not to get people to come around our church. The goal is to get people to come around the gospel. I had coffee this week with Eric Malloy, the pastor of First Church on Green Street. Most people in our neighborhood think we are them and they are us. The idea of two Protestant churches in this neighborhood is almost too much for people to handle, right? And um, so I had coffee with Eric. Between us, uh, while we were sitting there having coffee, three people walked in. And I just wanted to take a photo that, that we knew. And I wanted to take a photo of that moment. Like, I almost took a selfie of Eric and I just to say, look, we're not the same person. His church meets on Green Street. Our church meets at Harvard Kent. Like, no confusion. We're together. We are friends, but we are not pastoring the same church, you know. And um, we're not, if, if a thousand people go to first church and come to Christ there, that's a win. That's a huge win. I will celebrate that. If their church is packed because people are coming into the kingdom of God, that's a win. The goal is for people to come to Jesus, not just our church. The cool thing about Pastor Eric is if a thousand people came to our church and came to Christ, he would celebrate that as well. That's a win. Those are wins. And so we celebrate as worship of God, not as worship as of ourselves. So in that moment, they sang, it said, they praised, they thanked God. What are the things that we should thank God for? As a church, that'll be a community group question this week, by the week. What should we be thanking God for as a church? We are called to celebrate. You know, the the entire calendar before Jesus was built around celebrations of God, remembrances of God, feasts, festivals, and holy days. There was Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement. And then the Feast of Tabernacles, that was the Jewish year. The whole year was built around festivals to remember God. In the New Testament, since Jesus, we have what's called the church year that works on a rhythm. I didn't know it, but if you go to a, uh, a more liturgical church, even the robe that the pastor or priest is wearing speaks to where they are in the church year. Growing up in the South, I had no idea that was a thing. Like, I just thought they had different robes and... If they were in the mood for purple, they wore purple. If it felt like green, they wore green. But in in the church year, there's Advent, and then there's Christmas, and Lent, and then Holy Week, and Good Friday, and Easter. And then next week is Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came. And my brother is actually going to be preaching here next week. I'll be here as well. But he's going to be teaching here about Pentecost and about the Holy Spirit, sort of the mysterious God of the Trinity that we don't know exactly how to talk about. And so that's part of our rhythm. And so... Our calendar as God's people is built around celebrating God's activity in human history. It's amazing the culture we live in, what we celebrate. The, The year, depending on what you value, the year can be based on different things. If you value sports the most, think about how your year works. You go from like NFL, because that's the most popular sport, starts around Labor Day. That takes you... that. NBA and NHL start, but nobody pays attention to it. It starts in October. Uh, You don't pay attention to that until football is over in February. In the South, there was this thing called college football that nobody in New England knows or cares about, and that wraps up a little earlier. But then after football is done, people begin to pay attention to uh, basketball and hockey a little bit, and then Baseball starts, you know, right at the end of February with spring training, but that really starts in April, and then, you know, now we're in Bruins and, well, the Celtics are out, but basketball and the NHL are at the end. And then it'll only be summer, and it's the dog days of summer, because if you love sports, it's only baseball. And then we'll get right back to football, and everybody, that's how the year works. 
If you value shopping the most, shopping doesn't work that much differently either. Like the year kind of starts at Black Friday and we're taught now that as Americans, it's our duty to go buy something because if we don't go buy something on Black Friday, we're going to hurt our economy and what's it possibly going to say about where we are as a culture? And then you get to Christmas and then you've got the after Christmas uh, sales and then that takes you over to Valentine's Day and You've got to go buy an expensive card for your loved one that's getting outrageous because now the cards sing to you. And then that now takes you over to, uh, after that one is like St. Patrick's Day, which now is it's a whole thing at these places. And then you get to Easter, and then it's Mother's Day, and then you start rolling in, well, then Father's Day, like, bloop, and it's over. And then, and then it's the fourth, and, and then you roll over, and then you get a holiday, a bit of a holiday break. It's amazing now, once you get past the 4th, like you go into stores and they're putting out Halloween stuff in the summer. Like the chocolate will melt and the candy is already out and, and, and then Thanksgiving. And we just go from one holiday to the next with our shopping. And as Christians, we can say no to the madness of all of that. And we can be part of it, but it doesn't have to be the thing that we value and venerate the most Celebrating reminds us, Scott, I think I've got these in here. This next one is a slide. We see in this passage that celebrating does four things for Christians. It reminds us of who God is. Reminds us of who God is. He is good. And that he is our provider. And that everything good that we get or have in life comes from him. Celebrating reminds us what God has done, not what we have done. In that moment, did they lay the stones? Yes. Did they do the work? Yes. But God was the one who provided them freedom and allowed them to come back to their their homeland. And so they're celebrating in that moment what God had done, not themselves. Celebrating reminds us of who we are. We're getting a cupcake today in a minute. I know some of you, like, don't do that. I'm going to encourage you just to pause on your diet for one second and eat that. Because celebration reminds us that we're not robots. God didn't make us to be robots. We're not slaves. God didn't make us to be slaves. God didn't make us to be employees. Get back to work. You get back to work. Invite people. Read your Bible. Pray harder. Try more. Give more. God didn't create us to be employees, punching the clock for him. At the same time, God didn't create us to be heroes or messiahs. When we celebrate, we remember who God is and what he's done and who we are. And that um, God loves us and we're his kids. And then four, celebrating reminds us of where history's heading. Let me read to you they, uh, another celebration they had just a couple of chapters later in, in chapter 6. Let me read you three verses from chapter 6. Now, they had continued to build and continue to build. And now they're going to celebrate the Passover. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover another time in their church in their in their year of worship for the priests and the levites had purified themselves together all of them were clean so they slaughtered the passover lamb for all the returned exiles for their fellow priests and for themselves and it was eaten by the people of israel who returned from exile and also by everyone who joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the lord the god of israel see the passover was a holiday for the jewish people where they would slaughter a lamb and then they would eat it to remember that God was their salvation but it wasn't just a remembrance it wasn't an ending a reminder of what was it was also a reminder of what was to come 
that there was coming a lamb who would die for their sins and pay for their sins in a way that this actual lamb could not. This was a sort of a forecast of God becoming a man and dying on the cross and rising from the dead so that we could have salvation. And when we celebrate, we remember where history is going, that we're not the heroes, that we're not responsible for the ark and the rise of the church or of history or of anything else. But that was settled by Jesus. And we're also reminded, and I don't talk about this enough as, as a pastor, we're reminded that one day all of this history is going to wrap up. And we're going to spend eternity either with God or away from God. And for those who are followers of Jesus, who've surrendered their lives to Jesus, the first thing of note that's going to happen in heaven together is going to be a celebration. It's going to be a wedding. And in eternity, we're going to have a wedding. And Jesus, the groom, is going to be eternally united to his bride, the church. And we're going to feast together. And we're going to sit at this big table. And don't tell anybody this because we're a Baptist church. But we're going to drink real wine together with Jesus, the lamb. And we're going to celebrate the groom and the bride. And I heard an alcoholic say, who was, uh, who was say one time, he was like, I cannot wait for that feast. I am going to be free from my alcoholism, and I'm going to enjoy that glass of wine with the bride and the groom. And history is moving toward that consummation. So when we celebrate, we remember that the lamb is coming again, and the first thing we'll do is have a big wedding party. So I want to encourage us, in closing, to find ways to celebrate to find ways to memorialize things, to find ways to make much of God's work in your life, in your family, in our church, and to celebrate God. If you got baptized, frame that picture. If you've still got a picture of your baptism or a certificate of faith, I want to encourage you to frame those things and make much of them. I want to encourage you, at our house, uh, about a year ago, it wasn't even a year ago, six months ago, on a, in a sermon, we gave out little white flags to remind us that we're to live surrendered. In our house, that white flag still hangs very publicly uh, in our home to remind us every day we've got to live surrendered. And there's some days where I'll be feeling rushed and I'll see that white flag and remember, I just need to surrender to Jesus. Public ways to remember God's work in your life. At our house, we have maps and globes and flags to remember that God's at work in the world and invites us to be part of it. Uh, in the Old Testament, they call these things Ebenezer stones. There's a hymn we sing here sometimes. It's called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. Lead, let me now by, lead me now by thy good pleasure safely till I arrive at home or something like that. In the Old Testament, they gathered these stones. And when God did something powerful, let's say God did something powerful over there. They would all get stones and they would set them over there. So when they would pass by those stones as a family, the kids would say, hey, hey, mom, why is there a pile of rocks over there? And the mom would say, oh, that was the place where God delivered us. That was the place where God did such and such. And we need to memorialize and celebrate what God's doing so we can remember, oh, God did this. So I want to encourage you uh, today when you eat a cupcake, understand it's an, and it's an, it's an Ebenezer stone. It's a party. It's a celebration, a reminder of what God has done. For me, I've never eaten at Lindell. Scott swears by it. He said, I'm going to eat a cupcake today. He would not normally do it. He's like, Lindell's is great. From now on, if I have Lindell's, I'm going to remember 
We ate those when our church had 50 people on a Sunday. I won't forget that. I'll remember God. We attach meaning to that. So I want to encourage you to set Ebenezer stones on your, on your work desk, on the walls of your house, on your social media. Those are great places to celebrate what God has done. It's toddler stage for our church. Let's celebrate Jesus well and what we celebrate best because what we celebrate best, we venerate most. Man, I don't, uh, one thing that I am really convicted and convinced about as a pastor is that it's not our job to birth a church. The Bible says that the church is a body. It's a living organism. It's our job not to put a pillow over the face of the body and suffocate it, right? Just not to do something stupid. I've seen pastors do stupid things. Sam, you've been in ministry a long time. I imagine you've seen pastors do stuff that, and you've even done stuff. I have too. Uh, I was just going to let you off the hook and blame somebody else, but you want to take credit for dumb stuff as well. Like there's been, I've seen pastors and I've been a pastor who does stuff. It's like, don't, you know, the Homer Simpson thing, right? I want us to be known for making bold moves in faith, for celebrating well, for not leaving anything on the table. And understanding that, man, it's God we celebrate and God we love. So I know some of you, honestly, I know your story well enough to know that you have mixed emotions about receiving communion on Sundays. And I get that. Like, I love you and I appreciate that that's your deal. Today, I want you all to get a cupcake, okay? If you don't normally get communion, today you're getting a cupcake because we're celebrating the fact that whether you're a follower of Jesus yet or not, you're in progress on that. Man, this is your church. You are part of it and we love you.